Try the salami, Tommy. Give with the gravy, Davy. Everybody eats when they come to my house. Try a tomato plate too. Here's cacciatore, Dory. Taste the bologna, Tony. Everybody eats when they come to my house. I fix your favorite dishes. Hoping this good food fills ya. Work my hands to the bone in the kitchen alone. You better eat if it kills ya. Pass me a pancake, mandrake. Having a derby, Irvy. Look in the fendel, mendel. Everybody eats when they come to my house. Hannah, Diddy, Tommy, Dora, mandrake. Everybody eats when they come to my house. Pasta fazula, tolula. Oh, do have a bagel, bagel. Now don't be so bashful, Nashville. Everybody eats when they come to my house. Hey, this is a party, Marty. There, you get the cherry, Jerry. Now look, don't be so picky, Mickey. 'Cause everybody eats when they come to my house. All of my friends are welcome. Don't make me coax you, moke you. Eat the tables, the chairs, the napkins. Who cares? You gotta eat if it chokes you. Oh, do have a knish, knisha. Ask him the latke, matke. Chili con carne for Bonnie. Everybody eats when they come to my house. Face, Buster, Chef, Chops, Fump. Everybody eats when they come to my house. You're listening to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM, and my guest this week is Lucy Nisley. Uh, Lucy's latest book is Relish, from uh, first, second books, My Life in the Kitchen, um, as well as other works include Make Yourself Happy, Radiator Days, French Milk, a large variety of uh, mini comics, as well as the web presence called Stop Paying Attention. A collaborate. Another thing is a collaboration with Erica Moen, which I couldn't remember the name of because I couldn't find it. Drawn to you. Drawn to you. There we go. Okay. My comics are a mess. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> um. Thanks for joining me today, Lucy. My pleasure. Um. It's kind of funny, like trying to prep for this interview. There's just so much for me to read. There's <laughs> so many comics. I made so much work for you. I'm sorry. Oh, I know. It's 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 terrible. You know, I, <laughs> someone should give me a raise. Um, because you know we make lots of money in comics journalism. Uh, <laughs> relish your latest work. Um, one of the things that's stuck out in me for it, and normally I 
this isn't questions to really ask about because usually I kind of leave people's personal lives alone uh, to focus on their work. But I feel like I want to talk about your parents and how okay. important they are um, to you, which is really... Like I'm at a shrink session. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you... But yes, you go on. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about your parents. Um, Tell me about your relationship with your parents. Yeah. There we go. Yes. Um... And I guess, like, you kind of le- give me that ability to ask about that because you do feature them so prominently in a number of your works. And, uh, like I said, it's not something I normally ask about because I think, you know, people's private lives are private and public lives are public. Um, Unless, you know, you write about your private life and publish them in comics, I guess. Then they're not so private. Yeah, I mean, even in some situations, like... It's, but I feel like with, with your parents, they're so core to who you are, and you kind of try to reflect them through your work, if that's coming out right. Yeah, especially with Relish, because it was sort of about my childhood and about um, my experiences growing up in the food world that my parents raised me in. So that there's a lot about my parents in Relish, definitely. And I'm an only child also, so, um, you know... <laughs> a very strong connection to my parents having grown up with only them in the household <laughs> and them having only you too right there's that kind of flip part where the importance that you have for them not to say that non-only children aren't as important to their parents as their no, siblings but, but other parents have a little bit more diversity of attention i think <laughs> <laughs> here we go um were your parents always really supportive of your creativity? Um, yeah, for the most part. When I was a kid and I got into reading comics, um, they weren't super into comics. They thought that... Uh, I read a lot of Archie comics as a young kid, and uh, my mom was sort of not too into the Archie comics because she thought it was not very feminist. You know, It was this like, guy who couldn't pick between these two girls, and so... She didn't really like it for that reason, and my dad, who's um, now a, a literary professor, didn't think they were literarily challenging enough for my reading, my developing mind, and so um, I started out reading these Archie comics and sort of having to defend them to my parents so that they would continue to buy them for me. <laughs> what were some compelling arguments that would convince them? Well, I learned a great deal of vocabulary words from reading Archie comics, which um, helped to convince my father that they were you know, worthy of continuing his um, weekly purchase at the, you know, smoke shop where he would buy them for me. Um, and then uh, I, w- I was always running to my mother and being like, in this story, Betty and Veronica eschew Archie's attention and go off on their own. See, Mom? See? See, see, see? <laughs> if you examine the subtext of this Archie story, you'll see that it really is very feminist. <laughs> One can hope. Um, <laughs> now, you reading it, you've been reading, you're quite, like, as a child, intensely always reading, it seems like. Sorry? It, reading the book, I get the idea that you were always a pretty voracious reader as a child. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was a reader. I mean, this is another thing, I think, that comes from being an only child, where you just spend a lot of time on your own. So, um, so yeah, I was a big reader as a kid. I, I also read a lot of um, Tintin, because I was lucky to get a hold of a bunch of copies of those. Now, 
when did you start kind of developing a, a taste for the finer foods? For finer foods? Um, well, when I was growing up, I, I ate pretty well, but I didn't really realize it because I didn't know anything else. Um, so when I got into like middle school and started hanging out at friends' houses and they would have things like Lucky Charms that I'd never been exposed to before, I was kind of like, this is amazing. Why don't we eat this all the time? Wow. So um, I got really kind of into junk food as I got older, and my parents were horrified having raised me on, like, you know, local organic produce and super well-cooked meals and all this, like, good restaurant food. Um, so it was a little bit of a rebellion for me in, you know, in through my youth to, uh, to sort of to come home and say, I had the most amazing meal at someplace called Wendy's today. <laughs> My girlfriend likes to tell about how she stopped being a vegetarian as a child when she was at a friend's birthday party and they had hot dogs. Ooh, yeah. Hot dogs <laughs> are a big converter. My mom used to lie to me and tell me that junk food... Like, I never went to those parties, but, like, the birthday parties, because my mom used to tell me that, like, McDonald's hamburgers were made of worm meat. And she would get, like, calls from other parents being like, um, your daughter told our daughter that she wasn't coming to her birthday party because something about worm meat, and we're not going to feed your child worm meat, and how could you tell your daughter that? My mom would go, well, I'm just not going to eat McDonald's. <laughs> Unrepentant. That's not fair. <laughs> um, I mean, the book is kind of a balance of kind of introspection about food, but it's also, I guess, kind of a biography of yourself through food. Yeah, sort of a memoir couched in food memory. Um, what is it about food in particular that you kind of use that associates itself with memories for you? Well, sensory memory is very strong, of course. I mean, we're always talking about how smell is this big, you know, memory reliving sensory experience. Um, you know, you smell something and suddenly you're transported back to your fifth grade field trip. And, um, but I sort of feel that way about food, about taste memory. And, uh, something that I realized when I was looking through some old photographs at my mom's house is that we actually have more photos in our album of food and meals than we do of human beings. So uh, I think that it's just sort of the way that our family kind of processes things. We remember good meals and it sort of anchors the rest of the memory around that, um, that food experience. So it's just something that I've always grown up with and um, something that translated well. And in terms of telling my story, I sort of couldn't do that without talking about the food industry and how I was brought up around these food people. You might have seen one now in Minnesota Or maybe by the sea in Sarasota They were made back in Worcester, Mass Of aluminum baker like glass mm -hmm. Like a locomotive They were streamlined And the blueprints Were drawn up from a dream of mine yeah. Slap them up, put them on a train Michigan up to Maine, I 
You may find it down and down to Georgia, Carolina, up to 20 by the pigweed in the country out of Waynesboro. When it's getting late and rainy out in New York City, you hang a Louis off a three and you go and grab yourself a cheeseburger at a little gym diner. Oh, I'm six diner. Diner, my shiny, shiny love. And the nights are all I'm thinking of. Diner, my shiny, shiny love. The crews are pulsing where the troopers always stop. As we dine over the She always squints by the gum and the bowl And then she's tapping her toe To the Dean Martin on the consulate Booth service and a cigarette We're laughing it so Side of a dollar I had a picture 95 root before the Pepsi And be sure to save room for some apple pie La la di da di li do La da di lo die Let make it all the Shiny, shiny love And the nights are all I'm thinking of Diner, my shiny, shiny love Dean Martin, God rest his soul Talking to me from the cereal bowl There's a couple from the show me state Knocking back a little meatloaf plate Diner, my shiny, shiny love Diner, my shiny, shiny love My shiny, shiny, shiny love Chicken and biscuits With a side of gravy I feel like some of the work that's in this book I read in other versions um, On your website or wherever else Is that kind of how it's come together is kind of cobbling together these memories and putting together these various comics and kind of restructuring them? There are a couple, I think there's like some of the recipes in the book are definitely online um, because I redrew a bunch of recipes uh, for the book to sort of finish out each of the chapters. If I mention a certain food, the chapter ends with the recipe of the food, but before I started making relish, I was making other comics about food and sort of the act of drawing out a recipe was really interesting to me because, you know, when you read a recipe and it's kind of like, roll the dough into balls and put them on a tray, it's hard to really know exactly what you're supposed to do, and especially with something visual like rolling sushi rolls, for example. Like, unless you see it done, you kind of can't read about it and then do it on your own. So I thought that drawing them was a really good way to sort of show step-by-step step how this process is achieved and, you know, leave it less open to interpretation. So... I was already making recipe comics, and a lot of those wound up in Relish. I loved how you uh, your uh, brief mention of Vancouver is just how subpar the uh, the quality of food was here. I laugh <laughs> of out of Vancouver? That. <laughs> yeah. Your dad wanted to come up here? Yeah, um, my dad and I hadn't traveled together for a long time, and we're both big into restaurant people, and um, and we... It was right around when everybody was kind of like, Vancouver has an amazing food scene, and it's not very expensive. So we came out there together, and 
like ate our way through every good seafood restaurant in Vancouver. It was awesome. But yeah, then my dad threw like a tamper tantrum at one of the one of the like nicest restaurants in Vancouver. <laughs> That's okay. I think uh, Vancouver. If you're gonna get food, go for the Asian food. If not. Asian or Indian, I think, is the, the I thought stuff the food was here. amazing in Vancouver. I had really, really good food there. See, I'm always uh, excited to go traveling. Maybe it's because Vancouver's also gotten a lot more expensive in the last five, ten years. Yeah, I heard that. That's horrible. Yeah. So when I go to somewhere like New York, I'm like, oh, the food's so cheap here. <laughs> oh, God, that's a terrible thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Thank you, Olympics. <laughs> um... Going through all your work, um, it's uh, I, I read that, and then I read the um, French Milk after, and it's interesting to see just how um, quickly you've kind of developed a style over, but like seven, five years. I'm not sure how much time was in between working on either of those books. Yeah, um, I think it's about six years. That's right. Um, how are you developing yourself? Like, are you trying to find something that you're more comfortable with? Was it just at the time of French Milk, you were still pretty new to cartooning? Yes, French Milk was really, really early on. I, um, I had only sort of just begun and I was still in college when I made it. And I was in art school, so I was experimenting with a lot of different styles and different techniques and materials. So, um... French milk was done with totally different materials than what I use now and totally different style. And um, I was really just coming into it, sort of throwing everything against the wall and see what stuck. Um, and since then, I you know, finished art school. I went to graduate school at the Center for Cartoon Studies. And I think over the course of the years following French milk, I really sort of came into my own style. And now I'm much more comfortable. And a lot of my work looks more like what Wellish looks like than it does with French milk. Did your time at uh, CCS, like, help develop you as a cartoonist? Um, oh, definitely, yeah. What were some of the things that I mean, came out of that experience? If nothing else, you're in the woods for two years making comics. I mean, I was, I was there for a year, and I did my second year remotely, but you're sort of in a vacuum making comics for a period of time and thinking about nothing but making comics and, you know, looking at other people making comics, and it, it sort of changes the way you think and the way that you inform your own work, and I definitely, definitely gained so much from just just the act of being in sort of a comics vacuum for that period of time, but there's also like an amazing faculty, really, really incredible visiting artists, and so you just sort of absorb this stuff like a, an amoeba while you're there. It's great. Um, had you always been as uh, productive as you were? through there or because I'm wondering because you do a lot of comicking you're very consistent as far as being able to put out stuff pretty regularly and I'm wondering about how you've kind of instituted that into yourself um thanks I mean I think that it appears that way on the outside but I of course beat myself up all the time for not being more productive um which is I think just part of the artistic process naturally um but uh but yeah I mean there's a lot of assignments going on at CCS, and so you're always churning out different kinds of work, but uh, but I actually, I was really super productive when I was in art school, because I was just 
trying everything, and I would read a new comic and be like, I'm going to try and make a comic in this style. I'm going to try and make a comic in that style. So I was always, like, churning stuff out at that time. And I think as I get older, I'm, I'm more, you know, comfortable in my own style, and I'm able to say, I'm going to spend a lot of time, like, getting this right and doing this consistently. And, you know, if I don't put anything out for a while while I'm working on this, it's okay. But at the same time, I'm, like, beating myself up. Um, do you, how much do you tend to work in a day? Do you put in, like, a full, like, eight hours, ten <laughs> hours, fifteen hours? <laughs> <laughs> All the time, forever. I know, it's it's hard to explain it to people who have salaried jobs, and, um, I'll just, they're like, well, what are your hours? Where, how do you work? And I'm like, uh, if I'm not eating or sleeping, or, like, out with friends, I'm probably working. Like, I'm just in my studio working or like thinking about work and you know talking about comics online with other artists or um you know scripting and there's just you know it, it's taken a really long time to get into the practice but after a while you just sort of you're just working all the time with the work you're creating um i was, I was thinking about it and it's has it all been predominantly autobiographical for the most part, yeah. Um, I've done some short pieces that are fiction, but uh, I'm most comfortable in the realm of autobio or memoir comics, yeah. It almost feels like, and I've seen this with other folks, where like, we're piecing together parts of your whole life through different works, covering different aspects. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's all it there for anyone to see. <laughs> <laughs> Um, is that something like you're thinking when you say you're working on a book like Relish, like being pretty focused on, on what parts of your life you want to cover? Um, yeah, Relish sort of came about at this time when I was going from being away at college and being like a young adult who was kind of living halfway across the country from my home and my family and um, loving it to sort of that transitional period where you start going... I really actually would like to go back and reconnect with my family and my roots and um, eat my mom's cooking again. That sounds great, actually. And um, even though that was, like, horrifying to me to, like, go home to the parents' house at age 19, at age 28, I was kind of like, that's, that's, I really want to do that. That sounds great. <laughs> so um, Relish became this kind of transitional story about reconnecting to my past and sort of appreciating my upbringing for what it was. Mm -hmm. It sounds pretty great, the kind of what your parents are able to expose you to. And yeah, you. I'm, I'm lucky in that regard, definitely. Do you ever have any interest in doing work of fiction or kind of covering? Oh, definitely. Cause definitely, I definitely. I noticed like Oscar Wilde, you just did that trip, and yeah. he's very important for you, and, you know, a lot of his work is fiction, and I'm curious, like, right. how that works I mean, within your own kind of yeah. thoughts and process. Um, yeah, I, I would love to do fiction. I It comes more naturally to work in um, nonfiction for me, uh, either travelogue or memoir or journalism, but, um, but yeah, I, I think I'm moving towards doing more fictional stuff. It's just that not something that comes super naturally to me, so I have to ease into it. <laughs> um, how do you put together 
I'll work to like kind of script it, thumbnail it, and then have the book. Um, it's different with most projects. I've, uh, I mean, for a lot of my self-published work that I've put out, uh, for the most part, that's collected stuff. So it's stuff that I already did individually as a project, self-contained, and put it on the internet. Um, so my self-published work is all just collected things. So I didn't really have to plan that out so much as just take everything and put it in a book. Um, but with uh, with Relish, I had to script it and you know send the scripts to the editors and then pencil it and send the pencil to the editors and it was this whole process and it was a real learning experience. I think my next book will be a lot smoother and easier because I understand the process a lot better. Mm -hmm. Are you gonna? Is your next book gonna be with First Second again? I don't even know what your next thing is. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a bunch of stuff in the works. Uh, my agent is shopping around some um, book proposal stuff right now. So uh, it could be with First Second. I'd love to work with them again. They've been really good to me, but it'll depend on where we sell it. Mm -hmm. um, that's the nice thing about uh, about comics. There's all sorts of options nowadays for for work to come out from. Um, yeah. Lately, you've been doing a lot of traveling. Yes. And yeah, the way that First Second works is that once they get a full, finished comic book in, they sit on it for a year to sort of generate press for it and make sure that it looks its best and, you know, just make sure everything goes according to plan. And so you have a year where, essentially, you're supposed to be coming up with your next project, but I was like, I'm going to travel and <laughs> travel everywhere. <laughs> Um, so I took all these jobs that uh, allowed me to go to all various places, and I um, took every opportunity that I was given to travel and ended up making, like, six travelogues that haven't seen the light of day yet because they're, like, too short to be published by a big publisher and too, like, in color to be published by, by myself, and it's, like, 600 pages of content. So it's just kind of clunky, and I'm trying to figure out what to do with them right now. So what are the places you've gone in the last year? I went to um, Italy, Korea, Africa, Tanzania specifically, um, Australia, and the UK. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. I got my sixth continent this year, so now I, I just have Antarctica left to go. Oh, I also went to Norway and Sweden and France on one trip. <laughs> and Germany. <laughs> Germany was also part of that trip. <laughs> you must have amazing uh, miles. I see all of these trips, for the most part, these trips were paid for with miles, so I actually have, like, no miles now because <laughs> I used them all up. <laughs> um, is there a kind of a learning, different learning experience you get from each trip? Definitely, yeah. Um, I find that I realize it a lot more when I'm traveling the trips um, because I come home and I'm like, huh, this is really, you know, not about just going to Sweden. This is about, like, being young and unmarried and sort of having the freedom to travel and fall in love and have crazy affairs and do interesting things. So, you know, it, it becomes more about what happens to me internally than what happens to me externally, and which is what French Milk is kind of about, um, and why I initially fell in love with travelogging through making French Milk and realizing that this isn't just the story of this trip that I took, this is the story of sort of 
coming into my adulthood and my relationship with my mother. Now, French milk was originally just you made it for yourself, right? Yes, I, I made it for myself. It was just a sort of an experiment to see if I could record this trip that I was taking, and I really wanted to be able to remember it. I, I had this instinct that I was going to have a great deal of meaning attached to this trip that I was going to take. So um, I had just kept this journal for myself and naturally felt the need to draw and take photographs to include in it. My, my mother was also like journaling just through writing. And so uh, we would just sit down and journal every night. And I came home with this thing. And at that point, I realized like, no, this, you know, this is actually a real story. And this has some content beyond just being about this trip. So um, at that point, I decided to self-publish, and eventually it was picked up by a publisher. Now that you're, you know, traveling and there's a, probably an expectation that you're going to be documenting it and doing something, does that change <laughs> how you're documenting your trip? Um, you yeah, trip? I, I, I don't always do it for every single trip I take. Um, it feels like a real treat when I'm on a trip where I'm not <laughs> documenting everything. Uh, but at the same time, I get, like, panicky that I'm going to forget everything. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, yeah, it definitely changes how I approach trips, especially because it pushes me to do things that I potentially wouldn't normally do. Like, it sounds great to lie on a beach for a week, you know, in Maui, but, you know, at the same time, that's going to be really, really boring reading. <laughs> yeah. So I'm more likely to take um, a trip where, for example, what I did this year, oh, I also went to the Caribbean. Sorry, it wasn't on my list. But um, <laughs> I took an elderly cruise with my 93 and 94-year-old grandparents where I was acting as like a full-time nurse to them. I have no nursing experience. I did not know what to expect at all. And so that, you know, wouldn't generally sound super relaxing to most people, and it wasn't, believe me. <laughs> um, it wasn't much of a vacation. I needed a vacation afterwards. But um, but it definitely makes for interesting reading. Does it take you out of your trip though? When you're kind of sometimes. Um, but when you're traveling alone, as I generally do when I travel out, you're already kind of out of the trip to an extent. You're in your mind already, and to document it and write it down, um, you know, it sort of helps you process it a little bit more and understand what you're thinking and what you're experiencing more than you would just sort of trapped in your head. Do you prefer to travel alone, or is it kind of easier with a companion? Um, I think it's more fun to travel with people, but uh, but it's easier to travel on my own. It sounds like a lot of fun. Dump the dog and feed the garbage, mow the floor and sweep the lawn. Salt and pepper on my porridge when the alley getting gone. Oh, my good girl loves me madly and my bad girl is a flirt. I'll take the good with the bad gladly and I'll treat them both like dirt. For my breakfast, peanut butter for my lunch, bread and butter for my dinner, margarine for Sunday brunch. 
Baseball's fine, football's rougher, basketballers all are tall. But I like hockey, hockey's tougher, you must play without a ball. Think about it. Too much trouble and too much bother and I've stood all I can stand I'm a son and I'm a father, I am just a middle man When I wake up in the morning I hop up right out of bed Unless of course I am hungover then I pretend that I am dead So dump the dog and feed the garbage, mow the floor and sweep the lawn Salt and pepper on my porridge One day out in the brunch Baseball's fine, football's If I remember right, and I'm probably remembering wrong, one of those things was uh, you used to sell as a PDF. And I'm yes, wondering, the Africa and, one. yeah, and you were kind of one of the first folks going and selling comic PDFs. And I'm wondering how that experience was for you, because I'm seeing a lot more now where people are doing PDF mini comics. I think it gets harder the more people are doing it, actually. <laughs> I mean, it, it's easier, um, you know, we have more ability to do it, because when I first did it, there was no distributional, you know, capability of doing it. And people didn't really understand, you know, I contact these pay-per-download places, which are all doing, like, music downloads or movie download kind of things, and I'd be like, I need to do this for a PDF, and they'd be like, I don't understand. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. So, um, it's definitely easier because now there's stuff like Gumroad, where you can easily sell comics that you make digitally and dist distribute um, through the internet, but uh, but it's, it's harder to sell them because there's more choice now. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. I kind of, I kind of miss those days, but I don't really. <laughs> I guess, I mean, there's that careful balance of how much stuff you put out in certain ways, and especially in right. regards if you want to use it for future work. Exactly, yeah. Um, and with the Tanzania travelogue that I made, it was only 50 pages and it was full color, so printing it would be a ridiculous cost, and then, like, sending it through the mail would be another ridiculous cost. And so, uh, it really made sense to do that one digitally. And the other one that I've done with a lot of success, um, I, I did two others. Um, I did Salvage Parts and uh, the Here at Hogwarts comic that um, that had a good deal of success being distributed online. Mm -hmm. And that was also uh, an early Kickstarter that a lot of folks noticed. Yeah, the Hogwarts one. That was a really successful sort of beginning-to-end Kickstarting experience. It was kind of an amazing one. It was basically you, <laughs> you guys, you and your your best friend got to go on a trip <laughs> and document <Yes>. it. <laughs> <laughs> we got to go on a trip and document it. Um, we, you know, we did a lot for our contributors. We made this um, 35-page comic about the experience, and she did hand screen printed covers, and um, it was a really, you know, it was a lot of work, and we, we did what we could. I did a lot of, like, original art for contributors as well, but yeah, they sent us to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter in, in Florida, um, so we were able to go down there and, like, stay at a motel and, um, and go there and 
uh, we're both, you know, art school graduates, so we overthink a lot of things, and um, so we were able to kind of be in this park and think about the idea of fandom and how that affects our culture and how it affects our generation. So, sort of what we tried to think about, but for the most part, we were just like, this is amazing, let's try <laughs> the rides again. See, I and I think that's great. Like, I mean, I've heard some criticisms from folks, but it's like, there, there was no um, deceptiveness throughout any of those. It was pretty honest. Here's what we want to do, and here's what we're doing. And I think, okay. yeah, I don't know. I like the idea. <laughs> it's uh, you can do whatever you want with Kickstarter. So that's the. Uh, the handy I like those part. kinds of Kickstarters because you can have this like experience of going on the trip with these people and get the whole story without you know having to pay for your, all of your whole trip yourself. <laughs> you get to go along for the ride. And you were doing a, a lot of Harry Potter stuff um, and you got into a little bit of trouble with, with the Warner Brothers. <laughs> Not really. I mean, I, I didn't really get into much trouble. I did this, um, I was teaching comics for two years in the Chicago school system and uh, one of my assignments for the kids that I was teaching these are like kids from 8 to 12, um, was to adapt their favorite movie or book into a three-panel comic. So you had to really boil down the action and what was important about telling the story, and it was a good storytelling lesson for the kids, but a lot of them sort of didn't get it unless I would do an example. And, um, so I was starting to do these examples for the kids, and then I was like, you know, it doesn't have to be three panels. You can do as much as you want. And then the kids started to get more into it and became this grand scope kind of project. But um, I thought, you know, I should really put my money where my mouth is and do this myself. And so I decided it would be really fun to take this crazy giant story, all seven books of Harry Potter, and translate them into, like, basic action form. And so I started doing this. This is an exercise, and uh, it started getting a lot of attention, and people started paying attention to it, and it was up on, like, various blogs and uh, eventually made it into the hands of the Warner Brothers people. And uh, I wasn't selling these things at the time, really. I was, I had them at a couple conventions, but I hadn't started selling them because I wanted to wait until they were all done and then, like, sell them as a whole. Mm-hmm. But uh, Warner Brothers intervened before I could get to that point. Were you able to continue doing the, the artwork, or did you have to, like, stop as a whole, even drawing... Oh, no, they didn't stop me as a whole. It was funny. I think they thought I was, like, 12. I got this call from this woman who was like, I know that you seem like a very talented young fan, and we encourage that, but we just asked that you wouldn't sell them. And I was kind of like, um, I actually think that I'm perfectly legally within my rights to sell these under the Parity Act, but um, I don't want to tangle with your lawyers, so I'm willing to not sell them. And, you know, I have a great deal, as an artist, I have a great deal of respect for copyright law, and I understand that, like, this is, this is something that doesn't really belong to me, of course. I, you know, never mention the words Harry Potter or Hogwarts or any of the trademarks, like, words, just images on a piece of paper, and it's not, like, a direct rip-off from any of it, but, okay, you know, like, I'm, I'm willing to step back on this one. Fandom's very important for you, isn't it? Um, yeah. Being able to, like, really get into (laughs) it, into something. Yeah, and... I was definitely, when uh, when you live with someone else who's as big of a nerd as you, you kind of feed off of each other's nerd 
towers and it snowballs into something. So especially when I was living with my friend Nora, who's another artist who's also very, you know, passionately nerdy about various things, um, we would sort of <laughs> enable one another to, uh, to really get into fandom, and we talked about it a lot. So, uh, yeah, so for the year that we were living together, it became kind of the focus of our artwork. I want to talk a little bit about the uh, artwork itself within Relish. Um, the artwork, kind of uh, a clear line style, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned Tintin earlier. Uh, how is that important into kind of the style you've developed? Um, well, I mean, I think you can see a little bit of the Tintin influence in my work. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not directly ripping them off, of course. I sort of came mm-hmm. into it on my own. And um, with drawings of food, it's really interesting because drawings of food don't have that visceral reaction that photographs of food generally do. I mean, you can read a food blog and look at a picture of something delicious and go, oh, I really want to eat that. But a drawing of something like that is much more of a sort of the next step of removal as a symbol of what that food is. So it's harder to convey that this is delicious, you want to eat this kind of thing through a drawing. So it was really important to me to draw food that people had reactions to, where they would see it and read about it and go, oh, I really want to eat that. Um, so it was important that the book be in color, because color is a big part of that, and uh, I did my best to try and draw food that looks really delicious, but it's really hard because, you know, you'll watch a Looney Tunes cartoon and there'll be a turkey and it's, you know, it's this like thing with little white booties on that doesn't really look like a turkey, but we all see it and we read, okay, that's the roasted turkey, of course. Mm-hmm. So, um, with drawing the food, it was something that I thought about a lot in the course of drawing the book. Was the color style you used in the palette, was that something you developed? Um, I guess it's come out of when you used to do watercolor? Yeah, I really liked the texture of watercolor, but the ability to control and um, you know, make, maintain the saturation levels of digital color. So, it's sort of a combination of the two. Um, one of my, f- someone wanted me to ask uh, some a, f- a specific food question, is uh, about the lettuce in salad. Why um, most people that work in restaurants don't order salad? Yeah. <laughs> is that a myth Wait. that the lettuce oh, gets? Oh, people that work in restaurants. Oh, oh. Um, <laughs> for the most part, I work in catering and farmers markets, so we had really nice lettuce stuff. Um, I couldn't tell you about every restaurant, of course, but uh, if you go to a farmer's market, that's a good spot to get lettuce <laughs> and have it be okay. Um, something that I will never do is, uh, and this is probably unfair because I'm sure there's a lot of really good ones, but is uh, order at like a chain grocery store's deli counter, like get get the egg salad and stuff like that. Because a friend of mine worked at a a deli counter at a chain grocery store and be like, that, that egg salad has been there as long as I have. <laughs> <laughs> we just don't replace it. It's the same stuff. Oh my god. You must uh, have a lot of odd little quirks that you've learned about the food industry of what to and what not to order and what not. <laughs> um, sometimes I, I have little weird picadillos. Um, I was just talking about cheese with a friend of mine and how um, she's so intimidated going into cheese stores. And I was like, why would you, like, why would you feel intimidated? She's like, because you go in and there's this giant cooler of 
hundreds and hundreds of different kinds of cheese. And like, what if you get the wrong one? And I was kind of like, so? <laughs> First of all, it's cheese. So it's there is no it. wrong cheese. <laughs> <laughs> there is no wrong cheese. Um, but like, you know, you got to try it all. And, you know, my solution to that was to go work at a cheese store for a period of time where I was able to try all of the cheeses. And now I, you know, I can walk into a cheese store and go, yes, that one. I remember that one. Um, but yeah, it's funny. And I have like these weird pieces of information about cheese that people are always kind of surprised by. Is there a particular favorite cheese? Um, I really like this cheese called Cantal. It's a um, French picnic cheese, sort of in the style of an English cheese. English cheeses are really good, but they're kind of like, if, if you ask a cheesemonger about them, they'll be a little bit snobby sometimes, and be like, oh, they're kind of boring, and they're not the super stinky, like, awesome, complex French cheeses. But um, the Cantal was sort of my compromise between the two, uh, because it's, it's a really nice aged Cosmo cheese, but uh, has a little bit more flavor than an English cheese. It's really good melts really well. It's really good, like, grilled cheese cheese. Now you're making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that was a better cheese longer than I am a comic artist, frankly. But like, <laughs> is there no money in cheese? Oh, there's probably more in cheese than there is in comics. <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't like getting up early and having to go outside, so comics it is. <laughs> I uh, grew up above a deli and so there's also something about the constant smell of cheese that you may not want to be around all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I lived above a pizza parlor for a year, and I remember being like, I'm never eating pizza again as long as I live. <laughs> was it at least a good pizza place, or...? No, you know? it was not. <laughs> yeah, that would that would end it. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thanks for taking the time with me today, Lucy, to talk about your comics. Yeah, of course. Uh, reminder... Pleasure. Reminder, folks, I've been talking to Lucy Nisley, and her latest book is Relish, My Life in the Kitchen, as well. Other books of hers include Make Yourself Happy, French Milk, Radiator Days, uh, Drawn Together with Erica Moan, and a plethora of other work on her website, which will be linked on inksense.com at, uh, I think, the... What's your website, Lucy? Um, either my name or just stoppayingattention.com, which is easier to spell. Yeah, the name has a K in it. K. Silent K. A silent <laughs> K. There you go. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Robin. Choo-choo to Broadway, Foo, Cincinnati. Don't get icky with the one, two, three. Life is just so fine on the solid side of the line. Blip. Hold tight, hold tight, hold tight, hold tight for the Yakasaki wants some seafood, mama. Shrimps and rice, very nice. Hold tight, hold tight, hold tight, hold tight for the Yakasaki wants some seafood, mama. Shrimps and rice, very nice. I like oysters, lobsters too. I like my tasty butterfish food. When I come home late at night, I give my favorite dish. Hold tight, 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 hold tight
want some seafood, mama. Shrimps and rice, they're always very nice. Hold tight, hold tight, hold tight, want some seafood, oh my 